Erev Tov, everybody. Welcome to another edition of our Thursday night Parashat HaShavua class. Tonight's class is dedicated to our dear friend Yaakov Ben Rika. She'll send him a speedy recovery soon. We hope to see him uh, in person, well, moving around in Bet Knesset, praying with us. We all are thinking of you and we pray for you uh, that you should have a complete, complete refuah. Bezrat Hashem. Tonight we are studying Parashat Beshalach, Shabbat Shira, another fantastic, beautiful parasha. Uh, again, for those that weren't here um, in, uh, in the beginning, I have to uh, turn off my uh, video. We're having some internet problems here at home. So we're just doing audio today. So um, that's why we're just doing, uh, if you don't see me, you know exactly why. Um, anyways, there's so much to talk about in this week's parasha. It could be about the splitting of the sea, of course, no question. The climax of the uh, of the whole Yetziat Mitzrayim. Some say the climax of the entire Hamisha Humshe Torah. Um, you have the Parashat Haman. You have the story where Hakadosh Baruch Hu is providing this heavenly bread from Shamaim, Hamotzi Lechem Min Hashamaim. But tonight I want to focus on the end of the parasha, which is the momentous battle waged by Amalek, the arch enemy of Am Yisrael, right as the Jewish people were leaving Egypt. The Torah tells us, Amalek that Amalek. No hearing? Okay, so that Amalek came and started attacking Bene Israel and Refidim. And Moshe Rabbeinu commands Yahushua to choose men to go out to do battle because tomorrow I'm going to stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Yoshua did as Moshe said to him, Umoshe Aaron Bechur Alu Roshagiva, and Aharon, Hur, and Moshe ascended to the top of the hill. At this point, it's a, a moment in history that we all tried imagining in our minds every time we read it. When Moshe Rabenu would raise his hand, Beneisa was stronger. But when his hands were lowered, Amalek was stronger. And Moshe's hands grew heavy. And he put it, they took a stone and they put it underneath him and he sat on it. Aharon and Hur supported his hands. One on this side and one on that side. And he was with his hands in faith until the setting of the sun. This is the last part of Parashat Beshalach. The Gemara teaches us an amazing chidush. This battle waged by Amalek against Bnei Israel 
was so intense that all previous battles from the beginning of creation paled in comparison. Not only that, there will not be a battle of that magnitude again until Melech HaMashiach. The reason is because the battle of Amalek was fought on two planes. Firstly, Amalek battled Bnei Israel down below in the physical world. In addition to that, Amalek's forces of Tum'ah opposed Bnei Israel's forces of Kedushah in the spiritual heavenly realm. And this is why Moshe Rabbeinu responded to Amalek's assault by setting up two fronts. There was a physical and a spiritual front. He placed his loyal servant Yehoshua in charge of the physical battle. That's why it says, Vayomer Moshe Yehoshua bechalanu anashim. Go and choose people v'tzei lachem ba'amalek. So in, in terms of the physical attack, Yehoshua was in charge. But he himself, Moshe, oversaw the spiritual battle. Machar anochi I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of Elohim in my, in my hand. The Torah depicts the difficulties that were presented with this war. Regarding the spiritual battle conducted by Moshe, the greatest of all prophets, the Torah tells us that his hands grew heavy. So they had to take a stone to put it underneath him and he sat on it. And then came Aharon and Hur and supported his hands, one on this side, one on that side. It's clear that Moshe Rabbeinu anticipated the difficulty associated with this battle. And that's why he needed Aharon and Hur to join him on top of the hill. But there must be a reason why he chose these two people specifically. Seemingly, they must have possessed unique traits that would help Moshe subdue Amalek. So the question that I want to answer tonight, what characteristics did Aharon and Hur possess that Moshe Rabbeinu, the greatest of all prophets, lacked? Why does the Torah specifically mention the word Ehad in connection with each of them? It could have just simply said, and Aaron Vechur supported his hands. This one and that one. What's Ehad and Ehad? So I want to share with you a chidush, one that we have shared in this class in the past. A chidush by the great Rav Shimshon of Osropoli. And he explains the deeper connection between Moshe, Aharon, and Hur in, and their purpose. The Torah tells us, Moshe, Aharon, and Hur ascended to the top of the hill. The first letter of each of these names, Moshe, Aharon, and Hur, correspond to the first letters of the name of three very evil angels, evil, evil klipot, negative forces. The names of these forces are Mashrit, Af, and Hema. Mashrit is the destroyer, Af is anger, and Hema is an even stronger form of anger. So the Mem of Moshe corresponds to the Mem of Mashrit, the Aleph of Aharon corresponds to Af, and the Chet of Hur corresponds to Hema. 
And that's why they ascended Al-Rosh HaGiva to the top of the hill. The Pasuk specifically employs this term Rosh, indicating that their goal was to utilize their own inherent holiness to subdue the first letters of these three klipot. Just to better explain the significance of this, Rabbeinu Bechayeh writes in Parashat Yitro regarding one of the Ten Commandments, Zachor et Yom HaShabbat LeKadesho. Remember the Shabbat day to sanctify it. And he tells us that something special happens on Shabbat, that even the wicked people who lived on earth, they are allowed to rest from the pain and suffering of Gehinam on Shabbat. On Shabbat, there's no pain and suffering. But look what Rabbeinu Bechaye writes. Because of this, because there is no because there's no suffering on Shabbat among the Reshaim, on the Friday night Shabbat service, we do not say the customary uh, lines of Vehurachum like we do on the weeknights, on the weeknight Arvit. The three angels, the three negative angels that I mentioned to you earlier, Vehem Mashchit Af Vechema, those three angels. That are in charge of inflicting punishment to the wicked in Gehinam, and Laem Reshut Beshabbat. They don't have any permission to inflict punishment on Shabbat. In order to instill and to that the wicked understand that they have rest on Shabbat from the pain. And all of these three negative forces are actually found in the Pasuk Vehurahum. And we're not mentioning the Pasuk Vehurahum on Shabbat because the Reshaim do not, are not suffering by the hands of these angels. The Pasuk Vehurahum Yechaper Avon. In that pasuk, we have velo yashchit, the concept of the klipa of yashchit. Vehirba leashiv apo, there the apo is the af, where we subdue the klipa of af. Velo yair kol hamato, hamato is chema. That phrase is used to subdue the klipa of chema. So every single night we say these pesukim to try to protect ourselves from these negative forces. But since the wicked, the Rasha'im, receive a respite from their suffering Gainam of Shabbat, the Pasuk is not recited on Arvit of Shabbat. It's only recited in Arvit on, on the weeknights. By the way, you should know also, this is one of the reasons why the washing that comes after the meal, <clears throat> the Maim Acharonim, is we, we always say Maim Acharonim Choba that the waters after the at the end of the meal is obligatory. Maim Acharonim Choba. The Zohar writes the reason why they're obligatory is because we have to give the negative force its due, so it won't bother us. Based on what we learn, this is again alluded to the first letters of the words Maim Acharonim Choba is Mem Aleph Het, Mashchit Af and Chema. The same letters of the klipot. So we have to give the negative force its due. And we're recognizing that it's a chobah. 
And the water, so to speak, is cleansing those negative forces. We see elsewhere in Mishle, just to uh, just continue along this line for a moment. Shlomo HaMelech tells, teaches us in Mishle, Per Kavzain, Tov Shachen Karov Me'ach Rahok. Better a close neighbor than a distant brother. Now there's a lot of interpretation to this pasuk. Rabbis go to town uh, explaining this pasuk and what it means in the lessons. But the close neighbor is really the good inclination, the inclination that dwells in man's heart. The advantage of the close neighbor over the distant brother is what? Is that the close neighbor helps a person engage in good deeds, engage in Torah study, and engage in Avodat Hashem, serving God. And by doing so, he distances the three negative forces, those three klipot, mashchit, af, and chema, represented by which word? Me'ach. The pasuk said, a, a good neighbor is better, me'ach rachok, from a distant brother. The word me'ach, again, the same letters, mem, aleph, chet. So that's just some cute little tidbits for you. Uh, uh, of some deeper significance into these Pesukim. But nevertheless, let's go back to what we were talking about. Let's uh, try to apply this concept as a way to explain Moshe Rabbeinu's motive in having Aharon, his brother, and Hur join him as he went to wage war against Amalek. Like we said, his prayers, along with the first three letters of their names, Moshe, Aharon, Behur, were aimed strictly at abolishing the three negative forces that were represented by Amalek. The Al-Shicha Kadosh in his Sefer Torah Moshe explains at length why the war with Amalek was so intense and difficult. So much so that when all said is done, HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself will eradicate the name of Amalek. Like it tells us in this week's parasha, Ki amalek God says, I will surely wipe out the memory of Amalek from under the heavens. Based on the Midrash, he explains that God does not vanquish a nation below on this world until the ministering angel of that nation above has been vanquished first. And there's a Pesukim to prove this, not going to get into it now. But first, the angel is, got, is, is destroyed, and then God, here below, will destroy that, uh, at that nation below. So therefore, the Al-Sheikh is teaching us a tremendous chidush. The ministering angel of Amalek, Rabotai, is none other than the Yetzir Hara himself. The Gemara says, Hu Yetzir Hara, Hu Malachamavet, Hu Satan. The Yetzir Hara is the angel of death, and is the Satan, is the Satan. So before defeating Amalek below, here on this world, it's essential for us to defeat the ministering angel above, the Yetzirah. And every time we sin, we empower the Yetzirah. And that's why it's so difficult to overcome Amalek below. Because success in this battle depends on us alone, on the performance of complete Teshuvah repentance, refraining from following the advice and the temptations of the Yetzirah to sin and sin more. Only then will HaKadosh Baruch Hu vanquish him above, allowing him to erase the name of Amalek below. From these juxtaposition of Pesukim related to the battle of Amalek, 
What do we see right before this war of Amalek? Unbelievable. The battle was precipitated by B'nai Israel's thoughts of heresy. After B'nai Israel complained about water in this week's parasha, the Torah tells us, Shem HaMakom Masa Umriva. He called the name of the place Masa Umriva. Why? Because of the contention of the Jewish people and their test of God. Lemor, they said, Is Hashem even in our midst or not? Parasha ends. The next parasha, Amalek. And Amalek came. Rashi says he notices and he asked a question. What's the connection between this story with the water, the Jews complaining about water, wondering where God is, and the war of Amalek? He says, The reason of the juxtaposition is as follows. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I am always among you. I am always there for you. I am there to give you all your needs and all your wants. That's what I'm here for. And yet you still have the audacity to ask, is Hashem with us or not? Is Hashem in our midst or not? Therefore, by your life, I'm going to bring a dog and it will bite you. And then you're going to cry out to me and you're going to know where I am. This is why Amalek came. In light of the insight of the al Kadosh, maybe now we can make sense of the sequence of events. B'nai Israel were swayed by the advice of the Yetzirah, Amalek's ministering angel. It infected them with the poison of heresy. And they started to ask, is Hashem among us? Is Hashem in our midst or not? And as a result, Amalek's angel above was empowered. It was vitalized. This serious sin generated now three evil negative klipot, mashrit, af, chema, who waged a spiritual battle in the Shamaim against the Jewish people and enabled Amalek below here, the Yetzirah's nation below, to successfully wage a war, a physical battle against Klal Israel. Now, Moshe Rabbeinu needs to make a decision. And this prompted him to strategically wage a battle against Amalek on two fronts. He placed Yehoshua, like we said, on the physical battle with Amalek down below, while he himself confronted Amalek in the spiritual realm himself. Seeing that now B'nai Israel's heresy, Ha'im Yesh Hashem Bekirbenu Imayin, this statement wondering if God is with us, empowered these three klipot, Mashchit, Af, and Chema. So therefore, Moshe, Aharon, and Hur had to ascend to the top of the hill. Why? Because those three individuals with those three letters needed to be there to abolish them with the Kedusham of the corresponding first letters of their own names. Now maybe we can understand why the success of the spiritual battle against these three evil negative forces dependent on Moshe Rabbeinu raising his hands towards the heaven. We, right? Well, that's what the Pasuk said. When Moshe Rabbeinu would raise his hand, Ben Yisrael was stronger. When he lowered his hand, Amalek was stronger. Famous Mishnah in Masechet Rosh Hashanah. Bechi adav shel Moshe. Osot milchama, osovrot milchama. Are the hands of Moshe going to determine who wins and who loses? Ela lomar lecha. 
כל זמן שהיו ידיו של משה, כל זמן שישראל מסתכלים כלפי מעלה, as long as the Jewish people were looking upwards, ומשעבדים את ליבם לאביהם שבשמיים, and subjugated their hearts to their father in heaven, היו מתגברים. They would prevail, ואם לאו, היו נופלים. But if not, they would fall. Meaning what? By raising his hands heavenward, Moshe Rabbeinu intend to return B'nai Israel to God. How? By means of complete teshuvah. By looking upwards, they will now subjugate themselves to Avinu Sheba Shamayim. And therefore, he intended that B'nai Israel perform complete teshuvah for their sin of heresy. And merit selicha v'chapara in keeping with the pasuk vehu rachum yechaper avon is forgiving of the iniquity, and that's how they abolished their three klipot mashchit afen afen chema velo yashchit veiriba leashiva po velo yaiv kochamato. This is why Aharon and Chur had to join him to unite the names of Moshe, Aharon, and Chur, whose kedusha would effectively negate those three forces. Let's try to endeavor the deeper significance of Moshe Rabbeinu's choice to have Aharon and Chur join him. We know that they supported his arms in order to awaken the Jewish people to perform Teshuvah. We already spoke about their job in subduing those three negative forces. Moshe Rabbeinu was a complete tzaddik. HaKadosh Baruch Hu attests to this himself. Bekol beti ne'emanhu. In my entire house, he is trusted. Therefore, Moshe himself was someone removed from the concept of Teshuvah for a transgression. It was hard. He was perfect. So this made it very difficult for him to inspire the Jewish people alone by himself to perform Teshuvah. So he wisely had Aharon and Hur join him. Their neshamot were intimately associated with the concept of Teshubah. Let's explain. Vide Moshe Kevedim. Moshe's hands grew heavy. What does that mean they grew heavy? Being a total tzaddik like Moshe, it was difficult for him to arouse the sinners to perform Teshubah. Aaron and Hur, who had more of a concept of Teshubah, tamechu echad supported his hands on one side, one on one side, and one on the other side. And now that enabled Moshe to maintain his holy hands upward, inspiring the Jews to do Teshuvah. By the way, here's a cute little gematria. Moshe, Aharon, and Hur, the three names, have the same numerical value as Baal Teshuvah. Unbelievable. Alluding to the power as a unit in the realm of Teshuvah. So why Aharon and Hur specifically? Well, let's begin with Aharon. In Parashat Kitisa we find that Aaron was involved in the making of the Cheta Egel, of the golden calf, prompting his brother to exclaim, What did this nation do to you? That you brought a great sin upon it. How does, what does this mean? How can Aaron, being the Kohen Gadol, sin? tells How could it be that the actions of Aaron, one of Hashem's sacred Kohanim, lead to such a grievous sin. So Gemara tells us in Masechet Avodah Zarah, Amar Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, Lo asu Yisrael et ha'egel, Ela liten pitchon pele ba'alei teshuvah. The Jewish people only made the golden calf 
in order to provide encouragement for Ba'alei Teshuvah, for those who return to Teshuvah. Rashi explains that the Jews who received the Torah were men of strong character, firm control of their evil inclination. The making of the Egil was so out of character for them. Their actions were governed from above to provide encouragement for those people who wish to repent in the future. For a sinner, he could be too demoralized to perform Teshuvah, convincing himself, there's no point. My Teshuvah is going to be rejected. And therefore, therefore, to assist him and encourage him, we can point to those people who made the Egil. They committed an, an act of sacrilege and nevertheless, their Teshuvah was accepted. So what do we see? We learn that Aaron Cohen's actions did not create any stumbling blocks. Lehefech, on the opposite, he was chosen by Akados Baruch Hu to facilitate this holy divine decree, the making of the Egel, in order to show Bnei Yisrael the process of Teshuvah. That's what the Gemara says. And Aaron Cohen only made the Egel to save the Jewish people from annihilation. It was in that merit HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave him the Kohen Gadol. There's an unbelievable Midrash based on a Pasuk in Tehilim. Pasuk in Tehilim says, Ahavta tzedek vatisna resha. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Alken, therefore, Meshachacha Elokim Elohecha Shamen. Therefore, God, your God, anointed you with oil of joy above your peers. Listen to this Midrash on this Pasuk. When Am Yisrael performed the Chet Egel, they originally approached Hur. When he refused their request, the Midrash says they attacked him and they killed him. Hur is now dead. So then they approached Aharon and they said, Aaron, we want you to make a Chet Egel. We want you to make a golden calf. Now Aaron looks at his brother-in-law who's now dead. So now what do I do? So, hearing the request, he was filled with fear. He didn't know how to proceed. They already killed Hur. Hur was a Navi. He was a prophet. And if they killed him, something really bad was going to happen. How did he know? Because the Pasuk in Megillat Echa writes, Im Yaharek Bamikdash Hashem Kohen ben Navi umiyad hen Golin. Should a Kohen and a prophet be slain in the sanctuary of Hashem? They would be exiled immediately. Aaron used his smarts and he said, if they build the Egil, they are going to be accountable for this despicable act. It's better that I be, a held, that I be held accountable and not Bnei Israel. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu heard this and he told Aaron, for attempting to vindicate my children, Ahavta Tzedek, loving righteousness, and you didn't wish to hold them accountable, but it's not Esha, hating wickedness, then, your God anointed you. From the entire tribe of Levi, only you will be chosen the position of the Kohen Gadol. Uh, the, the Gemara and Masechet Sanhedrin also discusses this, and there it explains that Yisrael, had Israel killed uh, Aharon, there would have been no remedy for their actions. And here we find a huge chidush by the Khatam Sofer. He teaches us 
that the magnitude of Aharon HaKohen's self-sacrifice surpassed that of Hur. Hur was killed, Aharon was not. And we're saying now that Aharon HaKohen had a greater, greater self-sacrifice. Because Hur only sacrifices physical being in this world. Aharon was willing to sacrifice even his soul in order to spare Bnei Israel from extermination. He was willing to forego his place in Olam Abba. Yes, have the Chet Egel attributed to me, that's fine, but don't destroy my people. So what do we see? Aaron HaKohen was willing to sacrifice his eternal soul on behalf of Israel, And in merit of that self-sacrifice, HaKadosh Baruch Hu chose him to be the Kohen Gadol. From Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, the sin of the Chet Egel was due to a divine decree in order to demonstrate everyone the power of Teshuvah. So we see clearly that Aharon was instrumental in teaching Bnei Israel the meaning of Teshuvah. Aharon's being was rooted in the world of Teshuvah. So we solved Aharon. So what about Hur? Seeing as Hur actually sacrificed his life and had no part in the making of the Chet Egel, the golden calf, it would seem to outward appearances that he had no part in the demonstration of Teshuvah. Uh, but if we look closer, that's not the case. On the contrary, he played, in, although indirectly, he played a crucial role in the lesson of Teshuvah. How so? We learned that Aharon was more than willing to actually give up his own life than make the Egil. Yet he realized that if he was killed, then that Pasuk was going to come to fruition and Bnei Yisrael would be doomed. So he decided to give up his life and soul in Olam Abba by reasoning that it was preferable that he be blamed rather than Bnei Israel. So had Bnei Israel gone to Aharon first with their request, Aharon, please make the Egil. He wouldn't have actually hesitated to give up his life for the sake of Kiddush Hashem. He would have certainly refused to make the Egil. But since they approached Hur first and killed him, Aharon was left with no other choice to make the Egel to save the Jewish people from annihilation so that they don't fulfill that pasuk written in Echa. To clarify it, what would have happened had the roles been reversed? What if the people had approached Aharon first with their requests rather than Hur? In all likelihood, Hur would have made the same mental calculation as Aharon. He would have arrived at the same conclusion. He would have made the Egel for them, in order to save the, uh, to save them from annihilation. So it turns out that Hur also played a part in the making of the Egil. By giving up his life, refusing to make the Egil, he now unwittingly forced Aaron to make the Egil. And now we can appreciate why Moshe specifically chose Hur and Aaron to ascend the hill with him, to perform Teshuvah. Because through Ruach HaKodesh, he knew that these two holy personalities were vital. They were inseparable for the task of teaching Bnei Israel the lesson of Teshuvah. So he joined them together to support his hands with the goal of awakening Klal Israel to perform this complete Teshuvah. Now we make sense of the Pasuk. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, one on the other side. What does this mean? There's a Gemara Masechet Brachot, very cryptic Gemara that asks, what's written in the tefillin of God? God wears tefillin. What's written in that tefillin? So, the Gemara answers, the Pasuk 
ומי כעמך ישראל גוי אחד בארץ. Who is like your people Israel, one nation in the land? How did they get to this pasuk? Based on a conversation between God and Bnei Israel. Amar lahem HaKadosh Baruch Hu Israel, God tells the Jewish people, Atem asituni chativa achat pa'olam, you made me unique in this world. Shemeemar, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, because every day you declare, twice a day, Shema Yisrael, and therefore you made me Echad, and therefore Vani Eseh Etchem chativa achat pa'olam, I will make you unique in this world. Umi kamecha Yisrael goy echad ba'aretz, one nation in the land. Moshe's hands grew heavy. Since he was a tzaddik and he was removed from sin, it was so difficult for him to arouse the people to perform teshuvah. Came Aharon and Hur, whose souls were rooted in the world of teshuvah. They supported his hands, one on this side and one on that side. Mizeh echad, one mizeh echad refers to Aharon in the merit of his self-sacrifice. He saved Bnei Israel from total annihilation. Total annihilation. In the land. The Jewish nation. And on the other side, refers to Hur. He sacrificed his life by refusing to make the Egel altogether. Demonstrating his absolute emunah to God. That represents That's the Echad in that Pasuk. Unbelievable. Maybe now we can also appreciate the manner in which HaKadosh Baruch Hu repaid Hur for his act of martyrdom. His grandson, Betzalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, built the Mishkan as brought down as taught in Parashat Vayakel Pekudeh. Over there, the Pasuk tells us, Reu kara Hashem Betzalel ben Uri ben Hur. And the Midrash writes, Mara al kan Hur. The Midrash questions, why is it necessary to mention Hur in this Pasuk? You called Betzalel, that's it, let him build it. When the Jewish people wanted to worship, idol, idol worship through the Cheta Eger, He stood up for God, he didn't let them. They stood up and they killed him as a result. God said, God swore, I'm going to repay you for this. Every single child descendant that comes from you, I'm going to give him an amazing name, a great reputation. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Chur was rewarded measure for measure. Midah keneged midah. From the fact that his grandson, Betzalel, built the Mishkan. Abotai, it's well known that the Mishkan served as the kapara for the Cheta Egel. Ele pekudea Mishkan, Mishkan ha'edut. These are the accountings of the Mishkan, the Mishkan of testimony. What's the Mishkan of testimony? Rashi explains that the Mishkan served as testimony for Bnei for ben Israel that God overlooked the incident of the Cheta Egel. He forgave them. For he rested a Shekhinah among them. And now, Hur sacrificed his life by refusing to make the Egel. And ultimately, however, unfortunately, the Jews still made the Egel. So therefore, God had to choose Hur's grandson, Betzalel, Ben Uri, Ben Hur, to construct the Mishkan to atone for the Jewish people for the Chet Egel. Hur 
sorry, Bezalel was 13 years old at the time. And yet HaKadosh Baruch Hu filled him Ruach Chokhmah with the spirit of Chokhmah in order to accomplish his task. And therefore his grandfather's wish was fulfilled. The sin of the Chet Egel did not remain with the Jewish people. Now we see both Aharon and Hur who were instrumental in the introduction of bringing Teshuvah into the Jewish people as per that decree associated with the Chet Egel, Both of them merited taking part in the Mishkan, which was the atonement to the Chet Egel. Hur's grandson Betzalel was the one who built the Mishkan, while Aharon HaKohen served, of course, as Kohen Gadol in the Mishkan. And now we have been able to slightly understand a little bit better the intricacy of Moshe Rabbeinu's strategic plan. He enjoyed Aharon and Hur to ascend to the top of the mountain with him, and they supported his hands, each from their respective side, so that he could keep his holy hands directed towards the heavens, in order to inspire Klal Israel to perform Teshuvah, and that's how they were able to subdue those three negative klipot roused by Amalek, Mashchit, Af, and Chemam, with the Kedushah of the three other names, of their three names, Moshe, Aharon, Vechur. I want to conclude with just one idea, that we can maybe walk away here along the lines of uh, Hur and his self-sacrifice and giving up his life. We mentioned that Bezalel, his grandson, was the general contractor of the Mishkan. Each time he's introduced in the Torah, the Torah makes a point of tracing his lineage to his father, to his grandfather. Uh, and there's something important here that Rabbi Fran says, an idea that we can take home with us. It would seem that Hur sacrificed his life in vain. Nothing was accomplished by his death. He tried to stop the Jewish people, but they killed him, and they made it anyway. The Torah is emphasizing that Hur did not die in vain, like we said. Look at his grandson, Betzalel, who came to build the Mishkan as an atonement. He was chosen to build it because he was Betzalel. He was in the shadow of God. We don't have any indication a 13-year-old boy, this specific 13-year-old boy, was a great architect or one who possessed all the talents for this job to build the Mishkan. What Betzalel did have was an unbelievable attachment to Akadosh Baruch Hu. Such an attachment to God is necessary to build him a home, a place where he is going to reside. Where did he get this from, Betzalel? Where did he obtain this quality of Betzalel in the shadow of God? By taking his lineage back to Hur, the Torah is emphasizing that these qualities don't just come from anywhere. They are qualities that are inherited by his grandfather. The quality that Hur exhibited, a willingness to give up his life, to be Moser Nefesh for God's honor, that was transferred to his son Uri and that was transferred to his grandson Betzalel. Says Rabbi Friend, an amazing lesson. We always tend to consider the bottom line. Did Hur accomplish anything or not? Did he or did he not prevent the sin? And based on our narrow evaluation, Hur was a total failure. They made their golden calf anyway. But that narrow view is based on our view of the world. Because we have a narrow view of the world. In God's world, that is not the end of the story. In the world of Akadosh Baruch Hu, a grandfather's dedication, a grandfather's sacrifice in Misirut Nefesh, which during its time may have been seen as futile, can still have a major impact on the potential accomplishments 
of his son and his grandson and future generations. Our Chachamim tell us that the Mishkan was a kapara for the Cheta Egel. And this kapara was brought through the efforts of Betzalel, who himself came from Hur. So yes, Hur was ultimately responsible for the atonement for the sin that he tried to stop. So yes, Hur did stop the Cheta Egel. He stopped its effect by providing for its atonement. The lesson here is that we should not always look for instant success. We live in a society where even overnight delivery is not fast enough. No, I want it now. If there's an hour option, I want the option. I want the email. I'm not interested in over. I don't want it tomorrow. I want it now. But that's not how HaKadosh Baruch Hu operates. If that was the case, then Hur would have been a failure. He failed. He didn't stop it at that moment. Success is not evaluated instantaneously. Hur's accomplishment was not perceived at the time, but Hur did, in effect, provide the atonement of the sin of the golden calf. And this, Rabotai, listening tonight, this puts everything together. This is the reason why they went together to fight Amalek. It's something that we continue today. We wait and we hope that HaKadosh Baruch Hu erases Amalek, eradicates him completely so that his name will be filled. And that's done through our Teshuvah every time we perform a mitzvah, every time we repent and we go back from our evil ways. We add the letters to HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name so that it's full, so that it we can merit protection from all evil forces so from all the mashchit, af and chema, this is our job. This is something that was uh, started by two holy individuals, Aharon and Hur, with of course the assistance of Moshe Rabbeinu. With his hands to Shemaim, we look up at Hashem and we say, please Hashem, you can help us. You can make us get there. And through that, Bezat Hashem will to many, many great things. And the coming of Mashiach, with the eradication of all our enemies, Bimera bi amenu, amen. Have a wonderful night, everybody.